Welcome to the Herbal Hour. Today we have an excellent episode planned out. We're going to be talking about the myths of the stars, astrology, mythology, psychology, all of the interesting ologies. Today we have with us my two good friends, uh, James with an interest in mythology, history. He's also quite a good jujitsu practitioner. And the good sir, Eric Anderson. He is a high school teacher in social studies. He is an astrologer extraordinaire. And thank you guys for being on the show today. And uh, I'd like to open up by asking Eric to tell us a little bit more about what his work is in astrology and kind of his profession. Sure, so uh, thank you for having me again. It's nice to be here with you too, James. Um, so I uh, went to college with you, Mr. Bogdan, mm-hmm. and uh, we met in a philosophy class. Yes, we did. And so, yeah, I, I double majored history and philosophy, and now I'm a social studies teacher, like you said, in a high school. And um, yeah, astrology kind of came to me in a, in a strange way. Uh, it wasn't a class that I took. It was more so like a self-interest um, because I wanted to get to know myself better, I realized this might be a very useful tool to try and uh, self-realize, self-actualize, mm. and become probably you know the best version of myself. Um, I didn't know that was going to happen when I went into it, but uh, as as the story unfolded, let's say I was able to uh, realize the true power of astrology, and uh, I learned a lot of uh, about the misconceptions that we have as mm. a society regarding astrology and its accuracy. I think. Um, Hopefully we'll get into that today exactly. Right. I mean, when somebody says astrology, they think of many things. They think of, you know, horoscopes. They think of charts. They think of the stars, constellations, myths. Um, To some degree, my my view on it is that many horoscopes miss the point of astrology, which is actually more, as you said, about self-realization, understanding oneself, the psyche. Um, Jungian concepts like archetypes. Yes. Um, what do you think is the purpose of astrology? Like, what can we learn from it? What can we apply in our lives? Sure. So um, you touched upon horoscopes, and I think sometimes we get caught up in like going on a website or looking at a magazine and seeing like what is our sun signs horoscope for the day, and it gives you a very general um, understanding of what you might experience today or for the month. And I think uh, you know astrology. What we can learn from it is. It's not just what's what's going on today or right now. It's more so like our trajectory, like our potential. We want to we want to know where how can we develop ourselves in such a way that we can become or actualize and maximize our potential, mm. so we can live uh, you know the best life possible, a life where we are fulfilled uh, in our own uh, daily you know affairs, but also helping others out. Um, so we could be useful and to try to find our place in the world. Like, what can we do as our unique individual self to help the world and help, you know, people also come to the realization of who they are. I think that's that's the real goal of a philosopher, and astrology mm-hmm. is a nice tool for that. And being uh, very philosophy-minded, we, we approach things with a critical mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so I approach astrology with a critical mind as well. And I... I question if very literal interpretations of it, as we were discussing before, of you know literally the position of the planets mm-hmm. in the sky, they have some kind of energetic uh, effect. That's one of the more scientific explanations for how astrology works. Um, and then there's the more ancient view that these are kind of mythical patterns that are being spoken about, about mm-hmm. how uh, the mind works, about our place in life, about the meaning. What do you guys think... Um, explains how astrology might work and why it's um, legit, for lack of a better term. 
well, you're, you're talking about cycles, right? So mm-hmm. it, it, we're tracking these patterns over time. And like I said before, it's not just like a, a one moment thing, like a snapshot. We think of our birth chart as, as a snapshot of who we are. And that's, we can only be one way, right? Based on the way the planets are aligned, we are fixed. It's kind of a, like a determinism, like genetics or, you know, you have this, you're born under a bad star. So now your life is star. ruins. Is that, is that? Yeah, no, can... that is the fatalistic mm. view of astrology. Um, and that's kind of how it was practiced for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say maybe even the 20th century is when we started to really look at it as, as, a, as a means of growth, as a way to, um, like I said before, actualize uh, your potential instead of being limited. This is who you are. You're fixed. You're born under a bad sign. You're screwed. I'm sorry. You're a Gemini in this life, right? Like, uh, mm-hmm. you, you know, you're, you're going to be a very <laughs> superficial person no matter what. Like, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, James, but, you know, uh, but well, you're, no, no, no. No, you're a cancer, cancer, right? Yeah. yeah, but still, you know, I like. Do- He's I just do, feeling I do know, the conversation. <laughs> I do know some Gemini's that are uh, a little superficial. And right. A little, so, a little so, bit of two-faced. so this is what I come back to before with the solar signs, right? We don't want to just get caught up in, in our horoscope for our sun sign. We have to in- integrate all the planets, all right, in the chart. And that's how we're really going to get to know ourselves and not just limit ourselves and say, like, we're, we're just this one way because of this one planet and this one sign. And that's right. going to color every single action or thought that I have in my existence. There does seem to be some truth in astrology in terms of, you know, you look into what are the personality characteristics of a sign and you see, oh, this is true. Um, I'm a Sagittarius, born December 2nd. My birthday's coming up. It's about to be Sag season for any Sages out there. Um, And Sagittarius, thank you, uh, is thought to be, you know, the philosopher of the the Zodiac wheel. Um, So I found in myself that that is my, you know, approach to life. I study philosophy along... Uh, with you as well. Yes. Um, and I found that it explained a lot of characteristics about me. But certain things I found are not necessarily um, accurate mm-hmm. about astrology. Um, certain things like, you know, like we were saying, pop astrology. Like, oh, on this day, this will happen. You will meet a very important person. Right. And kind right. of these right. literal interpretations of, um, of the stars. So... What, what inspired you to actually study astrology? Like, what... What's that path like for you? Yeah, that's the important question to ask. Um, anyone who's going to look at astrology should be coming at it from the mindset that they're trying to figure out who they are mm. and to try to understand all the parts of their being. Um, it's not about trying to figure out how to make you know a million dollars tomorrow <laughs> or how to find your future you know, wife or your girlfriend or anything like that. It's more about develop, developing who you are by coming to terms with all the different parts of who you are. So for me, it was... Uh, you know, a time in my life when I was, you know, trying to form my identity. I'm in college. I'm trying to figure out who the hell am I? Mm-hmm. What the hell am I going to do mm-hmm. in my life? How am I going to feel fulfilled when I'm doing this? Right. Mm-hmm. So by looking into astrology, by seeing, oh, I'm a Scorpio sun sign. But then beyond that, you know, oh, my Mars is in the eighth house. That also ties in with Scorpio. Uh, my rising is also Scorpio. So there are these patterns within my chart that tell me a lot about the type of person um, that I am uh, and also the type of person that I could become in order to be the best person uh, I want to be. There are positives and negatives to being every sign. and Mm -hmm. I think that's important to understand. So for me, it was harnessing my strengths uh, of, you know, who I am and who I can become and also acknowledging maybe some of my weaknesses or some of my blind spots uh, of of myself. So that's kind of why I got into it was to like I said before, actualize uh, my being and to 
be the person I want to be in order to live a happy life and to live a fulfilling life that helps others on their path to knowing mm -hmm. themselves. That's cool. Yeah. So making astrological charts is a big uh, way that astrologers basically study astrology and apply it to people's lives. How do you look at a chart in a more holistic way? That's a great question. Um, once again, we're not trying to just look at the sun sign and base your entire self off of that. Because mm -hmm. then everyone born in the same month should be exactly the same, right? So there's a unique energetic signature that comes with each chart. And it comes to, uh, or it, it, it's that way because you have eight different planets, at least nine different planets. You can add other different aspects in there and they're all interacting with each other, right? Mm -hmm. So we usually think about the sun and the moon, right? They interact or we're more aware of their interactions because, you know, there's a new moon, there's a full moon. We kind of see the cycle going on. All the planets uh, have cyclical relationships with themselves. And so when you look at a chart holistically, you are looking at the cyclical relationships between all of the planets within your chart. So it's like, you know, we have oppositions, we have squares, we have trines. These are aspects, mathematical or geometric uh, degrees that are made between each planet. And that kind of leads us to know how each planet is interacting with each other. But then on top of that, you have signs. Uh, which is another element of the energetic mm. signature that comes into play that affects the nature of the planet. And you also have houses. Um, this is a lot to, you know, for the right. person that's just jumping into this, but there are different layers of the mm. chart. And once you start seeing those layers, that's how you can really um, get to know yourself through looking at your mm. birth chart and seeing the different parts of yourself and parts of yourself you might not have realized actually were there. Um, some of your greatest attributes could be hidden within your chart and you mm. might not know until you see how um, some of these different elements uh, interact with each other. And I just one important note before we mm. move on, I think it's important to understand the nature of each planet, that each planet represents a, an aspect of your being, mm. right? So Mercury is associated with your mental faculties. Venus is associated with maybe um, your, your creative side or how you, how you deal with relationships with other people, mm -hmm. how you interact with other people. Mars is about your uh, active energy, how you uh, go after your desires in the world. And the sun is usually, it's kind of hard to say because it's such a big planet, but it mm -hmm. kind of deals with your, um, your ultimate trajectory, your individuality, your, um, your goal, essentially. What is your life goal? What is your life purpose? And the moon almost deals with your psyche, um, your inner self and the, the inner goings on. So just you know, a brief overview of those planets. That's what you want to think about is how are all these different parts of yourself interacting, mm -hmm. balancing each other out within your life. And sometimes they're not very balanced. And that's mm -hmm. why you might be a person that you know, is very uh, outgoing or volatile because there are these contrasting and dynamic elements in the chart that are causing you to manifest in a certain type of behavior mm -hmm. or, or thought pattern that mm -hmm. you know could be helpful could be harmful so looking at the chart can help you kind of master these parts of yourself mm. does the uh, chart incorporate like uh, like say like Jupiter Jupiter has like many moons does it incorporate like those as mm. well or it's a great question awesome? great question you know and that's I always think about that because mm. why shouldn't those moons also impact us in some way right mm. if we're going to acknowledge that Jupiter right thousands yeah. of miles away is going to impact us here the moon should also play some role electromagnetically to impact us as right. well right and maybe that's why the very literal interpretation of astrology is uh doesn't make sense because uh from my understanding the ancients viewed the stars and the planets in a very different way than we do they 
didn't really necessarily think of them as like physical objects mm -hmm. because they hadn't visited them. Mm -hmm. You know, the sky was the heavens and these were the gods playing uh, out their lives and we were just witnessing them and participating in those. So the way they may have looked at uh, the universe as a whole affected how the study of astrology came to be and what they were actually looking at. So mm. in a sense, could it be possible that these planets like when you say Jupiter or Mars or the sun, that they're not actually talking about the physical planets, really. They're talking about um, almost these metaphors that they discovered um, using their observation of the skies. So the ancients looked at the skies uh, to understand themselves and the earth mm. as well. So that's the idea, the microcosm, macrocosm relationship here. So the, the outside world, the, the universe, the, the stars, the planets are the macrocosm. We, the individual, are the microcosm. So by looking at the planets, like I said before, why does Mercury represent your mental faculties? Mm -hmm. like Mercury represents only my mental faculties or all people's mental faculties. How do you figure that out? Well, <laughs> the ancients, I guess, you know, from observing over time these cycles came to realize that, I guess, this, you know, for whatever reason, this mm. planet is associated with what is within us. Mm. And so that's kind of the goal here is that the ancients were trying to figure out who they were in their place in the universe by acknowledging the outer world and trying to map it on their inner world. Um, and I think that's how we need to view astrology today um, is to see it as, as a, like if we're going to look at it holistically, how is the universe also a mirror of who we are uh, individually within ourselves? And that might seem, you know, outlandish to the very materialist scientists, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, we're, we make our own truth in this world a lot of times. We, we create our story, our meaning. Mm. And so if we can use the stars as a way to guide our story and, and to make meaning out of our life and the myth of who we are, then why not? It's been done for thousands of years. Mm. I think there's a key distinction to make between uh, physical truths, what we call scientific facts, things that are measurable, and psychic truths, mm -hmm. um, the personality, the emotions, motives, dreams, uh, all these different factors that you can't really measure, but yes. every person knows is real. I mean, that's our experience is based on this. Sure. Um, so I think it's important to kind of have an understanding of what is being spoken about. Are we speaking about literally where the sun is when you're born? Or are we talking about metaphorically, We've the ancients noticed that when the sun was there, some certain pattern arose when people were born during that time. Why that was? I mean, maybe no one really knows. Right, because it's all about how the sun or any planet is in uh, where it is in relation to where the earth is. Mm. And that's a very geocentric view. I used to think about that's this like point. if I go to Mars... All right, my chart would change, right? If I was born on Mars, my chart would change. Earth would be a planet now that's influencing me differently. We, mm -hmm. we think of the Earth as us, right? It, it represents yeah. us where we are. But that's, like I said, geocentric. So I think um, astrology is limited. Uh, and it has been limited by the fact that we are a planet, you know, in a solar system. And the, the sun, you know, uh, is, in, is in the galaxy spinning around. And we're always changing um, where we are. And I think very quickly the ancients use the stars, the actual constellations, because we associate the signs with the constellations, do we not? Mm -hmm. um, so the ancients actually used the stars in relation to where the planets were in your birth chart to help interpret 
who you were. Um, this is not as common nowadays. There are a few people that still have the knowledge of like literally each star within a constellation, how that impacts a person's uh, placement of planets within their chart. I personally don't go that deep. That's not my realm of expertise, but I do acknowledge that as being just another layer of interpretation to help you understand your chart. It's interesting too that the stars were used as a method of navigation. So early man uh, needed to understand all of where the stars were and how they related to each other to basically know where they were out in the middle of the sea. Yeah. I mean, how else are you going to navigate? You need to know, oh, that's, you know, that's Virgo. That's that constellation. Right. That means I'm, you know, in the east going west. Right. Something like that, right? Yeah, and another another thing that people like to point out that astrology isn't, you know, so uh, accurate is because the procession of the equinoxes, the fact that mm. the Earth is moving within the galaxy. So and it the changes constellations. how the constellations are seen over time. Right. What do you think about that? So, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's a point of contention, right? So you have, like, Western astrology... Uh, or Hellenistic astrology, we like to call it, is like the, you know, it comes from the Babylonian roots. Um, basically, they kind of move the sky, if you will, with the, the, the constellations as the years go on. So like, we're, they're not stagnant. Whereas something called sidereal or sidereal astrology, Indian astrology, Vedic astrology, they fix the sky, basically. I know this is kind of like hard to understand, but basically the where the stars are, the constellations actually, like they move, like I said, because the Earth is moving within the galaxy. Right, they change over thousands of years where the actual stars. And are. And so Hellenistic astrology adapts to that. They mm. allow. They basically say, okay, we are moving, and we're we're going to change the background of where the planets and the, mm. and the the moon and the sun fall within the chart. Mm. Whereas sidereal, uh, you know, Vedic astrology says no. If this is fixed, we're going to keep it this way. And that's why if you ever do a chart for Vedic astrology, you might find that what you thought was your sign is actually a different sign. It's usually um, about, I guess, thirty degrees off for the most part like in uh, Vedic astrology I'm a Libra whereas in you know obviously in Hellenistic astrology I'm a Scorpio that really uh, seems to change things because which which astrology do you pick which it's, one's true yeah. right it's yeah. such a hard uh, and I think this is where we come back to the psychic versus the physical, meaning, uh -huh. right? And so like, it doesn't really matter which one you choose as long as it gives you the meaning that you need to figure out who you are and to get a grasp of, of these different parts of yourself and that empower you. It's about empowerment astrology. It really is to make you that better version of yourself. Um, if we look at it fatalistically, it's just going to be one more negative thing that we, we have to deal with in life. You know, we're always... Oh, Mercury's retrograde. <laughs> right. That's why my life is going exactly. to crappy. Yeah, like I'm not going to I'm <laughs> not gonna sign anyone. off in this house because Mercury retrograde is here. You know, we can't limit ourselves based on uh, what the stars are doing. It's, it's, it, they're guides. They're not, um, they're not fences to, to kind of mm. keep us That's boxed That's such a common uh, thing that, yeah. I, that I hear um, all over the place. And I... I see some truth to it that, you know, this Mercury's in retrograde and stuff starts going haywire. It seems um, there's some element of truth to it. But other times I've seen it used as almost like a, a crutch. crutch. Yeah. Like to, uh, to almost to take the responsibility oh, yeah. away from us and say there's, you know, there's greater universe, uh, greater forces in the universe at work uh, because Mercury in retrograde that's why I can't have, you know, good conversations with my father or something. It's like, that's why that our relationship really fell apart. <laughs> yeah, you know? that's, yeah, that's the reason, right? Yeah, no, is it is. Is that the reason? Um, I think, and that's when astrology becomes too much like religion. Uh, uh, and we start to use God as a scapegoat almost, or, you know, oh, this is out of my control, <laughs> right? I can't control this because of this thing happening outside of, you know, my control. Mm -hmm. I can't control my own life because these things outside of me. 
uh, are happening. So let me just briefly explain like mm. what a retrograde is because yeah, we're for throwing this around if it's idea. such pop culture, like yes. you know, mainstream yeah, now. What, what is retrograde? So basically uh, all planets go into retrograde except the Earth because it's once again, it's all astrology is a geocentric view. Uh, of our place in the, uh, in the universe, but specifically in the solar system. So um, basically, when Mercury goes into retrograde, what is happening is that the Earth is in a, a cycle, right? We're in an elliptical cycle around the sun. All the planets are moving around the sun. So what happens is Mercury is a very quick-moving planet, and that's because it's so close to the sun. Mm-hmm. Its, it's uh, rotation is much shorter. Um, so as the year goes on, and we're moving around the solar system, you know, it takes a little longer than Mercury, because Mercury uh, cycles so often, it goes into retrograde more times than the other planets do during the year. So I think it's about three times every year Mercury goes into retrograde. Mm-hmm. Dreaded Mercury retrograde, right? So as we, as basically as we're cycling, when Mercury is passing us, in the sense that it's moving like it's circling around the sun and then it's kind of like moving quicker than us around the sun, that gives us the illusion from Earth that it is moving uh, backwards. Mm-hmm. And that hence retrograde, or that it actually slows down to a halt and then it starts to move backwards. In our uh, perception. In our perception. It's not actually moving backwards. It's not backwards. actually moving backwards. It's just based on our perspective. So all retrogrades are just the illusion, mm. technically, or you know, our perception, you could say, or mm. accurate perception, maybe, based on our, uh, where we are, of, of the planet stopping, halting its rotation, and moving backwards. And so the Greeks, the word planet comes from the word wanderer. Mm-hmm. So the retrogrades to them probably seem very significant. Obviously, eclipses, you know, people were, you know, switching out the king in Assyria, you know, back in the day because they were worried that the eclipse meant that the king was going to, you know, die or, or be under wow. threat. That's so they actually cool. would take a random dude from the townspeople and make him king for a day. <laughs> no, are you serious? Yes. Poor dude. Poor really? dude. I, yeah, no. The Assyrian, um, Assyrian Empire? Assyrian, the Babylonian, Neo Babylonian yeah. empires were That's big on this. That's not cool. What and, did that guy Well, do? you can imagine what happened. <laughs> <laughs> that guy was usually uh, got, you know JFK uh, oh, you know, yeah let's just say it that that's awesome so, so yeah so the ancients you know view these things as being very significant when now we can scientifically look at them and be like actually this is just you know uh, the fact of the matter that we're moving around the, you know and this planet's moving quicker than we do mm-hmm. so whether or not it really has any meaning at all who knows now what me, is it thought to mean uh, when Mercury goes retrograde? Okay, so I'll do a psychic meaning. Because I, I want to f- talk about it physically too because I think there is some truth to perhaps mm. when the planet's going to retrograde that they might physically impact us mm. in a way. Um, but psychically, let's say this. So when Mercury goes into retrograde, it's supposed to be a time when we rethink things. We kind of go over things, do over things, um, whether they're mental constructs in our head or maybe we need to, um, you know, we're at our job. We need to like go back into a project, whether it's something that we're building or something, uh, you know, a system that we're working on. It's time to like uh, revise, a time to really go back into something. It's not a good time to start new things, mm. at least we're told that. So if it's we, a time of like mostly reflection and... Yes, uh, and refinement. If we are starting new things during a Mercury retrograde, mm. um, we're told that it's not going to gain traction. In fact, when we buy new technology, that's the, the real thing, right? Is that when we buy new technology during Mercury retrograde, it's going to break down. Maybe by the next time that Mercury goes into retrograde, we'll find that we have issues with this technology that we purchased. Mm. Um, and that's, that seems to be the very common thing. There's also the idea that we're, we're, we, get, we become late, right? You know, trains don't run in time. Things break down. Um, our car might break down during retrograde. And we think, oh, it's, you know, 
Mercury retrograde, just everything's going haywire. Um, so that's why it's not a good time to start new things because we can't rely. It's not a solid foundation, essentially. Mm. It's a good time to go back and rework on things and make sure that uh, we're just getting things in order for the future. Uh, we don't want to start new things that might break down uh, going down the road. Can you talk a little bit more on how planets can rule signs and specifically, you know, somebody whose sign is ruled by Mercury, do they get more affected by Mercury retrograde? How does that work exactly? Great question. So uh, Mercury, uh, the planet is usually associated with the signs of Gemini and Virgo. Okay. Right? Those are the signs that are ruled by Mercury. Mm. So you could argue that uh, those People who maybe have a sun, moon, uh, especially a Mercury or, or a rising sign, like when they were born in their natal chart, they have uh, Mercury in any of those signs or the sun or, like I said, the ascendant moon, they might be more affected by the retrograde uh, or by Mercury in general, wherever it is. That's now, when, retro when a Mercury retrograde happens in your sign, whether it's a sign of your, your sun, your moon, um, that will impact you also, even if you aren't a Virgo or a Gemini it will still impact you and affect you more significantly than someone who doesn't have a sign. Let's say, you know, Mercury is in retrograde in Scorpio. Well, if you don't have any signs in Scorpio, that retrograde might treat you differently or less mm. be less impactful than someone who has a sun, moon rising in Scorpio. I think that's uh, the important thing to know. Uh, the planets, um, each planet has uh, corresponding signs, right? Mm. So I'll just run through them real quick. Yeah, so Mercury, you got Virgo and Gemini. Mm. Venus, uh, I'm pretty sure is Libra and Taurus. Those are the signs that are associated. Mars uh, is definitely Aries in, in the ancient Very times. Very warlike sign, right? Mm -hmm. Also Scorpio. Now Scorpio Mars is also associated with Pluto. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's some modern elements that change things, but Mars also goes with... Aries and Scorpio. Um, Jupiter goes with Sagittarius, and I it used to be Pisces also, and now I think it's I think it's just Sagittarius because Neptune also goes with Pisces once we just discovered it. Mm. Modern. Discovered. So what does that mean that a planet like rules a sign? It, I guess it means that the, the nature of the planet goes along with the, the energetic signature of the sign. Mm. And this might tie into our idea of like when we're getting to the myths here, right? Each planet obviously is tied in with the mythological figure. Mm. Um, so there must be a relationship between the nature of Sagittarius, you said very philosophical earlier, mm. that might tie in with um, Zeus or Jupiter, mm. right? The, the nature of who they are. Um, so that's... That's the important thing to grasp here. Um, the sun, very quickly, is associated with Leo. Uh, mm -hmm. The moon is associated with Cancer. Um, I don't know. I don't think I left any signs out there. Saturn is associated with Capricorn. That's the mm. other one that you want to. You always want to make sure. So, um, rule say uh, um, Aquarius. Aquarius, good. Yes, that is also, I believe, uh, Uranus. Okay, mm. so yeah, the outer planets became associated with certain signs as they became discovered later on. They used to have ancient, they have ancient rulers as well the, before they discovered the other planets. So, so then now Scorpio, they say, oh, it's purely Pluto, right? That's the main sign, and it goes well because Pluto is deep transformation. It's so cold and heartless, you could say, even though they found it. Uh, if you look at a picture of Pluto, there's a big heart on it. Uh, it's, like a, it's a big ice patch. It looks really? like a heart. Yeah. Faction of signatures. So the Scorpios were joking. We found it. Like, we have a heart. It's just frozen in ice. You know, we need time to open up and warm up to Yeah, people. Pluto's been getting a bad rap lately. Yeah, it's, it's not even a, considered a planet anymore. It's a planet one year, then the next year. Were the not, people on yeah. Pluto uh, notified of this change? <laughs> the uh, third beings of Pluto. I don't think it's we're not notified really fair. about this change. 
Um, There's a funny episode, actually, not to completely derail no, the no. conversation, but I think it was in Rick and Morty, Rick and Morty. Yeah. where they're... Um, there's like people who live on Pluto and they were like arguing on their planet whether Pluto's a real planet or not. <laughs> um, and all this kind of uh, stuff is just a funny episode. Well, it's interesting because <laughs> why is it not a planet? They say because it's it's a certain size and it's too small and it's- Dwarf planet? Yeah, it's a dwarf planet. There are enough planet or planetary objects out there that are similar to that that we're not gonna classify it as a special thing. It's right? just too much of a headache for uh, astronomers to deal with. Maybe they're just like, all the no, let's, let's kick one out. Let's make it easier for us. <laughs> Let's just have eight. That's we, easier than yeah, we, We've run out of mythological figures to name the planets yeah. for, yeah. right? And there are like smaller planets like Eris that people try to emphasize now, or Chiron is a right. very important uh, comet that we track and we mm. really take seriously in astrology. Apophis, is right? like, Apophis as a, is another one? Apophis, I believe, is which, another, yeah, another is the, uh, meteor. Egyptian, Egyptian, some Egyptian mythology, I think. I believe so, yeah. yeah. I forget exactly which, um, I think it's related with the death rituals of I think, I think um, Ra, the, he's almost like Zeus in the Egyptian mythology. Sure, the sun god, would, absolutely. Uh, the Apophis would come around every like century and he would have to uh, like vanquish Apophis or something. Interesting. Mm, that's yeah, like yeah, the classic yeah. story of like uh, good and evil and... Osiris and, and, and maybe hmm. that is that story is mapped onto the planets in some way. Maybe every hundred years or so they were noticing a planetary alignment that allowed them to you know create this story that then mapped out in, uh, in their mythology. Well, that's that's hmm. the interesting thing, right? Because the planets, as we call them in English, are from the Roman uh, names, from the Roman gods, right. which are mm -hmm. basically you know a cut and paste of the Greeks, of the Greeks. Yeah. and the Greeks uh, potentially got them from previous. Absolutely. Uh, mythology. So it's kind of this mm. long uh, chain. So this is the perfect place to enter in on how does an understanding of mythology play into astrology? And what do myths teach us? Well, like I said, there's layers in the chart and you really need to have a grasp of, of the planets and the signs. And, and, and then you get into the houses, the aspects. So with the planets and the signs, you need to know the backstories of what the signs are about, what the planets are about. And so having a grasp of mythology will allow you to weave mm -hmm. these different elements of your chart together in a coherent way that will then allow you to create almost a heroic story about yourself mm -hmm. and, and what it is that you need to do with your life and what lessons you're here to learn, um, what struggles you might be presented with. Like the houses are big on, like where the planets are placed in your houses will tell you like, People will say it could tell you how you might die or what health problems you might have mm. uh, during your, your life. So it's very important to have a grasp of the mythology to understand the nature of your chart. You can't just go into it uh, in, in, in mathematically and just looking at the planets and adding up the different, because some sites, do, some websites do that. They say, oh, this, this aspect is worth a lot because it's a really close aspect. Right, it's like a pure trine, 120 degrees exactly. It's so important. This trine between your Jupiter and you know where your natal Jupiter was and your Venus. It's going to change everything about you. Okay, but if you don't understand why you know uh, Venus being in Sagittarius and Jupiter being, let's say, in um, in Aries, right? How those planets are colored by the signs they're in based on the, the nature of uh, the sign, it's going to make no sense. It's just going to be a, a meaningless aspect. So having the grasp of the you know the backstory of what makes Sagittarius, what is a centaur, perhaps, mm -hmm. who is Zeus, who is Jupiter, what are the stories that go along with with him uh, in Venus, you know Aphrodite. Let's bring that in the nature, the element of that, because you have to merge these things. They're not living, uh, or these planets are not in a vacuum, separate from each other. These aspects are really merging these two energies to create a new uh, form of uh, energetic signature that then expresses itself through you. And that's what makes it uniquely your 
aspect or your chart is that mm. these planets are all merging to create a, a totally unique and, and um, novel way uh, of expression in your life. In that sense, uh, astrology is almost the art of finding meaning in your life. And myths are, of course, mm. a great uh, resource and a great source of meaning, uh, meaningful stories, as you were saying, the heroic myth, mm -hmm. uh, the path of the hero. So basically, the trials and tribulations that are pretty much faced by every human life, birth, death, betrayal, all these great stories that are played out in Greek myth with the, you know, the gods are always at war. And it's in this psychological sense, it's almost like these are these gods are uh, aspects or forces within yes. the psyche that we're um, turning into these almost human-like beings who are uh, who have desires who have you know hates who fight each other and it's in a way it's i find it to be a way of understanding our own minds and our psyches um and i try not to get too caught up with is this literally true like is there literally a zeus is there literally a god who exists a being in this realm who you know hands down orders who lives on top of mount olympus I wonder, what is that story trying to point to? What is right. it trying yeah. to say about human nature? What is it trying to say about our lives? Right. Yeah. Um, there's, there's so many, like, historic, um, like, hero stories, like, even in religion. Like, you see uh, Hercules, Jesus, and Buddha. They're pretty much all kind of, like, the same. Mm -hmm. uh, they're, the like, same reiterations yeah. of this kind of... Uh, you know the birth of the sun and yeah, of the yeah, life very and similar the stories. resurrection and the mm -hmm. death like that's found in egyptian mythology that's found in mm -hmm. norse mythology with odin uh egyptian horus the sun and you can that's find true. all these parallels and the thing that's particularly fascinating about it is um it's not really certain whether these different um cultures interacted but they came up with mythologies that were so similar that you can literally take the story of Odin from Norse mythology, put it next to the story of uh, of G uh, Jesus, mm -hmm. and you're like, this is pretty much the same story. Like Human nature. Odin yeah. was hung on a hung on a yep. tree upside down, um, and they celebrate the same holidays like Christmas around the same time of the year. Mm. What what do you think that what is that connection there? I mean, uh, well, you think about it, so. There's actually a Bible ver or one of the biblical uh, stories. I forget which one of the four books it is, but it actually says that Jesus was hung from a tree. It actually uses the same really? exact line. I always love referencing that because it shows, like you said, Odin. You know, this is, it's it's too similar, right? These people, <laughs> uh, even these people, and I think this is where Jung comes in, the archetypes, the collective unconscious, because it shows that we're all, even though we might be living separately from each other, we're still under the same sky. Right, and that's kind of the, the astrology is almost like that collective unconscious, you know, mm. that access to the collective unconscious that we're looking mm. for that ties us all together. Now, Jesus had how many apostles? Twelve, right? Right, and so there's twelve signs. So right. there's mm. people are always trying to connect these things, right? Like doubting Thomas, the Scorpio people, like try to try to connect those two things together. Um, so I think that's that's one element where those two things relate. Um, I I. I personally feel that the mythologies that we, we look at in the world uh, and when we try to differentiate them from each other, it, it doesn't even matter the differences in names and cultures and places. Mm -hmm. Like you said, their stories are trying to tell us, teach us about human nature, 
right? And that's to bring this back to astrology. The, the, the point of this is to create meaning. And when you said that before, that's perfect. That's exactly what we're trying to do with astrology. It doesn't matter necessarily uh, where the planets were when you were born even. Like you can just take that and it's really about the meaning that you get from that interpretation. Mm. You know, I'm not going to get into an argument with you about, uh, well, you know, oh, you said the sun's placed here and it means this. Well, I think it means that. It's like, well, whatever it means to you, as long as it helps you come to terms with who you are, mm. that's really what counts. I'm not going to get into arguments over uh, semantics or, or, or the numbers of, of their chart and how things calculate. It's really more about creating meaning and, and coming to a better understanding of who you are. And uh, that's what, what it means to be holistic, right? Is to take these different fragmented parts of yourself uh, and of this world and kind of reorganize them and align them and weave them back together. And that's what, to me, this life is about, is weaving mm. together all these differences, right? Because we say all these different religions. Well, there's an underlying theme to these religions. They're trying to teach us like the birth and death of the sun, these general themes of human existence that are common mm. to us all. Mm. And I think astrology is just one other tool that we can use to help remind ourselves of these commonalities that we have between us. So the 12 signs are just like... 12 versions of uh you know people in this world you could argue and then you could obviously chop each version up into infinite amounts of of, of differences and uh, mm. unique ways of expression but at the end of the day it's just another way for us to to kind of organize ourselves mm. in, our, in our whether it's within ourselves whether it's in the world right i mean i i would love to have an astrology party one day where we all dress up as our signs right because that would be fun yeah, because then we could cool. play we could play those roles and see to what element <laughs> or, or to what extent <laughs> we really fulfill those roles and um yeah no i think uh we have a lot to gain from uh, learning how to identify with the various parts of ourselves mm. not over identify because mm. we've talked about mm. this but to kind of begin to develop a meaning of who we are and the different parts of ourselves and accept those parts of ourselves mm. i have another question uh, kind of going off topic from this one a little bit but uh how much do you think uh astrology and um yeah mostly astrology how do you think that affected uh civilization and their architecture like you mm. have like pyramids in uh, South America, oh, okay. and you have pyramids. Right, because they had them. Uh, certain you know. pyramids are kind of set up to mimic yeah. astrological right. I mean, formations of stars. To do right? with that. So you know I'll, I'll mean? just like, think really care about. Yeah. I'll start with uh, you know Leo, right? Because that's the big one, and this mm -hmm. comes back into the constellations. Now the constellations do move, right? We, we mentioned the precession of the equinoxes because we're moving around the galaxy. The constellations are not always fixed in our sky so they say where the sphinx is located and where it's facing um i forget exactly how many years ago but they say around i guess between 8,000, 10,000, 12,000 years ago the sphinx was facing where leo the constellation was in the sky wow and that's how they wow. try to tie it together i'm pretty sure like graham hancock and some of those uh you know uh, outside the box thinkers on egypt usually reference that obviously we talk about the pyramids orion's belt uh mm -hmm. attached to that um, like where they're aligned, they, they align with the, you know, where they are in the sky, more or less very accurately. So once again, uh, astrology tied in with myth. Mm -hmm. So how does it affect the architecture? It just, how does it affect the culture, the general culture? Because architecture is just uh, one a aspect of culture. So I, I'm not, I'm trying to think other than uh, those Egyptian examples of, of other examples where we see 
cities mapped out in a certain way, perhaps. Or maybe you were mentioning someone was mentioning Mayan, like Mayan or Inca or Aztec, right? Didn't they have? I mean, they were they were they knew when the universe was ending, at least in the sense of when we kind of complete one cycle, maybe a galactic uh-huh. procession, because the end of the world isn't the end of the world; it's just the beginning of of the next Something world, new, yeah. and that's where cycles come back into this too. So the ancients used the sky to track themselves in time and to track maybe their their progression or humanity's progression, um, the Earth's progression, because I think we're tied in with the earth too like we don't just want to mm-hmm. uh, separate ourselves mm, from that as definitely. you see that's these the problem right. and we we think of our lives in terms of days like there's the beginning of the day there's a certain energy there's the afternoon there's the night there's the sleep and then we think of life in terms of like uh seasons and months under the moon and you can just expand that out to years and then tens of years mm-hmm. and then cycles and then universal cycles all just of change yeah. of all life yes. on the planet Right. Mm-hmm. No, they are. They're all. It's all just we're measuring uh, time and distance. Uh, you know, mostly time though, because the distance is almost negligible. Because mm-hmm. it's we're, we really like we act like we know where we are in space, and we have this great grasp. And I guess we do kind of know where we are within the galaxy. But where the hell is our galaxy mm-hmm. amongst the others? Like, mm-hmm. it's so hard to pinpoint a location when our location base is one planet. Right. Everything's in moving in yeah. every direction. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's you have to almost arbitrarily pick. A false fixed point because we choose, you know, the sun as a fixed point now uh, of which the planets revolve around, but the sun's also revolving around exactly uh, the Milky Way galaxy. Yes, and then the Milky Way galaxy is so what is not moving? There's so much, so everything is (laughs) relative. I think Einstein uh, brought up some amazing points about you know, relativity theory theory of how, like. Everything is moving, so how do you even track so distance and time? I, I mentioned this. Let's bring it back now to the retrogrades real quick yes. because you're talking about relativity, right? And like we said, a retrograde is it's only our, uh, our perception of the planet right. slowing down and going backwards based on where we are in our cycle around the sun and where that planet is. So um, there is now they're starting to figure out that when the planets align, whether it's from Earth's perspective, whether they geocentrically align or they heliocentrically align, whether they align with the sun or they align with the earth, um, it creates certain electromagnetic, uh, I don't want to say just disturbances, but effects in, in the solar system. And it, and it rings out throughout the entire solar system. So they've mm. now noticed that, let's say, let's say Jupiter and Saturn are conjuncting. All right, let's say that's happening and they're conjuncting with the sun. That what might, does that mean conjuncting? Good question. So that means that they are within their cycle in uh, in from the perspective of the Earth, they are overlapping. Oh, so they're like in the same place. In it's the like planet. a new moon, oh. right? It's when the sun and the moon from the Earth's perspective are aligned, mm-hmm. all right? Not opposing each other during a full moon. They are actually like the, when the moon can technically block out the sun because it's, gotcha. it's moving past it. Like a lunar eclipse? Like a lunar, I think that's a lunar, or, or the sun is eclipsed. So solar? Solar eclipse. Oh, okay. Lunar eclipse is, um, is the when the Earth when the sun, uh, the shadow of the Earth blocks out the, the, okay. the moon. Oh, so there, so the sun and the moon are um, opposed. Opposed in a, when the moon degrees. is blocked out by the Earth's shadow. Shadow. Yes. Hmm. And when the moon covers the sun, then they're conjunct. Yes, and that's a new moon. Okay, so that's a good way to uh, yes think so about. The, so the, do the actual planets like actually really overlap directly? From our perspective, they do. Really interesting. From our perspective, it's kind of, it's kind of uh, hard to, to uh, think believe that, could that there's only what uh, you know eight nine planets, and they <laughs> they line up exactly in the same place in this you know 
and talk Large about globe of the sky and so tracking cycles. Mm. Um, so there's a Saturn Pluto conjunction that's happening very soon, and it happens every 33 mm. or 37 years or so. Astrologers um, track these as actually being symbolic of generational shifts. Mm. So when these outer planets combine, they usually see this as like a sign that something huge is happening societally. Mm-hmm. Um, and people have been awaiting this. I believe it's January 2020 that this, this conjunction is going to happen between Saturn and Pluto, if I'm not mistaken. And it's supposed to represent this ma- monumental shift uh, in our world that you know is already ongoing. Mm-hmm. Because it's not it's not like once the conjunction hits, boom, everything changes. This is a process. It's happening over time. And so when we see that a conjunction is about to happen we can know we are ending one cycle there's going to be some kind of climax event to a long process that has been unfolding exactly so it might manifest over the you know two or three years because these these planets move very slowly the outer planets and the outer planets being uh jupiter saturn uranus neptune Mm. and pluto inner planets being mars venus uh, and Mercury, the Earth as well, uh, you know, the Sun, the Moon also kind of grouped in there. Inner planets affect our chart much more. We look at a birth chart, we look at the inner planets first because the outer planets move so slowly. It's like me and you, Bob, and we were born a year and a half apart, mm-hmm. um, but in, in some ways, uh, a lot of our outer planets are still pretty much in the same spot. Right. It may be like a few degrees off. So we're not going to try to understand the differences in our charts by looking at those planets. We're going to look at like where the inner planets are because. We say those affect our personality more um, immediately. Mm. Okay, so that's an important thing to understand. So back to when these planets conjunct. Obviously, they symbolize these generational shifts. People, you know, you, you can look this up on your own time. You know, look up Saturn-Pluto conjunction every, you know, 30, 33 years. And I believe the last time, last two times it happened was 1914 or 1917. It was either the beginning or the end of World War One, mm. yeah. And the end of world war ii and what do we have at the end of both of these times massive shifts in the way the mm-hmm. world was structured the way our uh the, pol- the political uh, organization of our world is right we have the the birth of the un the end of world war ii mm-hmm. at, uh, at the end of 1945 we have the beginning or the end of world war one I, I forget which one um but either way massive shifts uh in the way that the world is organized the way that people are thinking the way that we identify as nations um our identities as as people as a groups mm-hmm. of people are shifting um, and I think that's what these larger outer planets, uh, you know, aspecting each other, that's what it usually leads to. So are you saying there could be World War Three next year? <laughs> so people are looking at this as being a massive shift. Well, could will be. it be World War Three? Will it be uh, we're going to Mars, right? Mm-hmm. It could be positive, negative. It could be however we view it. It's, it's telling us that something, uh, we're coming to a climax, mm-hmm. as you said before. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to look at it. So let me get back now to when these planets align. It's not just these symbolic, psychical understandings that we have of our tracking of how humanity is developing. There are physical, electromagnetic uh realities that that come as a result of these conjunctions mm. so also not just conjunctions but oppositions when the planets oppose each other there's also a pull as well energetically mm. so let's say saturn and uranus uh, are conjuncting let's use these as an example so if that happens there is a greater likelihood especially where like where they're conjuncting in relation to the sun the sun might be more likely to release a slow solar flare in that direction because electromagnetically, those planets are huge, right? Mm. They have, look, think about how many moons they have. Their gravity is pretty strong. Yes, the sun trumps them all, but these are massive planets. They have their own like huge gravitational pull that is very impactful. So they found now that if at certain conjunctions, the sun might be more uh, likely to release a solar flare or, or uh, just release some sort of energetic, uh, what do they call them, an EMP, electromagnetic mm. pulse. 
um, in the direction of, of those planets. That can happen. Also, if, if um, these planets align geocentrically in, in, uh, with us, so let's say the Earth is at a certain point in the solar system, um, and then for somehow Jupiter and Mars, let's say, align with Earth uh, in that way. Whether they oppose or conjunct, uh, it doesn't really matter. Either way, that can create uh, earthquakes. They can create tectonic shifts in our planet, in our planet, because mm -hmm. of the way that other planets out there are aligning with each other. And they've, this is like cutting edge mm. science, at least like when we're doing the research, we can see that this is happening now. It, it impacts the sun, it impacts our, our, our tectonic plates. And the sun and our tectonic plates, are, our magnetic shield are, are heavily intertwined. Mm. Um, we live in an electromagnetic universe, mm. and, and that's kind of what's going on here. Now, how does that affect our psyches? That's the, I guess that's the big question. So the physical effect is, it can be proven by science, the solar waves and the electromagnetic fields. But why when, you know, Mercury's in retrograde, for example, does that cause like a certain kind of psychic energy? So if you think about it, all right, if Mercury, if Mercury is slowing down and it's, it looks like it's moving backwards, that means it's because our planet is moving past it, right? Mm. So you could argue because our planet is closer to this planet than it was before, or Mercury, well, Mercury is moving actually quicker than ours. But either way, we're, they're, they're, they're almost like dancing with each other for a moment. Mm. So maybe that's why is that Mercury is so close to our planet at that point, it is maybe electromagnetically tugging on us. Mm. And you might say, well, that's impossible, right? Because they're so far away. That's, it would be negligible whatever effect it had. But look at the moon. Yes, the moon's very close, but it's still pretty small. And when the moon uh, is, when we have a new moon or a full moon, we have very strong tides. So we know that the, that the electromagnetic effects of the moon on our planet create physical effects. It's, it's also a, a very uh, common story of full moons producing a certain Absolutely. kind of energy. Yeah. And I know that's one of the reasons why um, I tend to have like a little bit of skepticism towards astrology, but I have a very difficult time being skeptical towards the effect of the moon yeah. because yeah. I see it every time there's a full moon, I start feeling like a certain energy. Everything seems kind of like heightened. Like if I'm upset, I'm like really upset. If I'm happy, I'm like, you know, ecstatic. If I'm in love, I'm like crazy in love. Yes, if, yes, I'm, yes. if I'm angry, like I can't control myself. It's like whatever is happening is amplified. To the point where I'll be feeling, uh, you know, a certain type of way, as the kids say, and I'll look and I'll be like, "Oh, it's a freaking full moon. No wonder." <laughs> like, "Oh, okay, again." And I've had that happen to me so many times that at this point, that out of all of the things of astrology, especially the lunar cycles, yeah. seem to be very impactful in the psyche. And I know Tibetan astrology tends to focus very much on lunar cycles more so than really worrying very much about birth charts or you know other planets they think the moon cycle is yeah. they base their life around is it three days before the full moon is it three days after don't do these kind of activities do yes. this do a ritual on a full moon you need that energy because that strong energy is coming into your life and it could be either very bad or very good for you supportive or, or detrimental depending on how you act so okay. that's my challenge to people who are listening right now is if you are a doubter of astrology don't start with your birth chart even. You could look into it if you want, but start with the moon cycles. Just notice every month how you feel at every phase of the moon cycle mm. and just see how that affects you if you really notice a shift. Try to initiate new projects around mm. a new moon. Try to start new things around a new moon. Uh, and then see within two weeks by the full moon, did you get it off the ground? Were you successful? Or did, think, did you learn more that maybe you need to refine your goals and the way you're going about uh, wow. pursuing your goal? That... 
that is to me the most impactful or we could see like proof of astrology actually uh, you know affecting our lives individually on this planet start there and then uh, if you you know if you see something there then maybe go deeper but start there that actually makes a lot of sense because uh, if it is true that these electromagnetic fields are affecting us I mean the moon is very close to the earth yeah. and it affects our tides like there's Absolutely. no there's no question. question that it's capable and of even affecting us. you know and we're a bunch of men here so I don't want to speak for all of women but you know there the 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 lunar the lunar cycles or the, the moon time as you know the, the they Native sometimes sync call up that, with the menses, it syncs up with the menses it does um, you know, it's not exactly, it's, it's about a day or and a half or two days off, but uh, it's too close to, to be like it's un, it's insignificant. They're not related at all. There's definitely something with it. You can there. see it in nature too, how like wolves howl, yeah. howl at the moon, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, why do they howl at the moon? Any I don't idea? Know. Perhaps it's because, uh, you know, it's very bright out during the full moon and perhaps they're trying, you know, it's a way to kind of announce themselves and maybe... Uh, bring the posse together. Who knows? I'm not Maybe they hang sure. out at night, and yeah. it's just, there's enough light for them to like meet up. Yeah, you but know. Then, don't we, they... then we have mids of whale, werewolves, right? And all these yeah, other uh, yeah, like true, how yeah. we humans have been known to change and in, in, uh, form, transform, transform yeah. during certain times of of uh, the month. In that sense, I've heard it's. Um, so my dad has worked in uh, in ERs, emergency mm-hmm. rooms, as um, as a surgeon, and what he said is that uh, during full moons. He's like kind of a pretty skeptical uh, yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. So, um, he kind of comes from a scientific background. He has you know deep religious beliefs, but about many things of mystical nature, he's like ah, I don't know if there's anything to it. Mm-hmm. He kind of takes that stance. But what he said about moons, um, full moons specifically, is that it's not that there's like more people that come into the emergency room but the cases are stranger Mm -hmm. like there's like weird stabbings and there's like strange unexplainable events um it's not that more people are injured but they just get injured in stranger ways Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so like there's like it's a very typical experience and i'm sure um, many of our listeners have had their own experiences with you know full moons and new moons i mean I would like to see some research behind this, and I wonder if there there is. There is, there is, there is, you know, there's sporadic research on, uh, you know, hospital visits during full moons. You also get more cardiac events um, during specific times of the month. Um, And that also, this kind of gets away from astrology a little bit, but the idea that our our geomagnetic fields that we have around our Earth are like very important, and we actually need the sun to send energy towards us. If the sun isn't um, producing or sending enough energy towards us, whether it's through solar wind. Um, you know, maybe some of your listeners know about this stuff in more depth, but solar wind, there, you know, there are solar flares also. If the sun's not sending enough of that energy, our fields get weak. Mm. We actually need yeah. solar input to keep our fields strong. And when our fields get weak, that's actually dangerous uh, for people who have uh, heart problems or maybe, you know, some you know, circulation issues, neurological issues. These problems become more pronounced when there's not enough uh, geomagnetic energy uh, are keeping our field strong. This also goes the opposite way, where if the solar, if the sun sends a huge flare that like fries our system, we're the point where um, our, our our magnetic field can't uh, protect us from the, the incoming solar radiation. That can also cause uh, serious problems. If you're flying on a plane during a solar storm, you're getting, you can be damn well sure you're getting irradiated like massively in unsafe amounts. 
like there are warnings. Like I, have, I actually have an app uh, that you know warns you whether or not there are solar storms, whether there's a lack of solar energy coming in that leads to they call it the KP index. Um, and if the index is too low, that can lead to problems. And if the index is too high because of an incoming solar storm, that also leads to uh, other uh, health problems potentially. This makes it seem, and every time I learn about how the Earth functions, how the magnetic fields, how the you know ozone layer, how all this protection happens, it makes it seem almost as if the earth is like a living organism or something and you know we're just kind of you know cells on the body of it or kind of like bacteria on the on the surface of it but it's actually trying to protect us it is um do you think there's some legitimacy to a belief in planets actually being living in some sense Yes, um, maybe we need to expand our definition of what it means to be living or existing. Right. And this comes back to what you said before. The, the ancients kind of looked at the planets as being these, um, you know, almost like ethereal kind of beings. Uh, we don't know to what extent they thought of them as physically uh, alive. But obviously, if, if you have an electromagnetic pulse, if you, are, uh, if you have a frequency, you're living. Hmm. At least in my view of it, right? Hmm. Uh, you know, we could say, oh, this table's inanimate, right? But it's buzzing right now. The hmm. atoms are moving. Right, and the atoms are interchanging everywhere. We may not see it physically, but it is mm. happening on, on a on a minute level. Mm. So, my opinion is yes, these planets are, are living beings. You know, whether or not you can have a conversation with them, uh, you know, you might need to be in a, a certain state of mind for that. But uh, that'd be a very loud conversation. Uh, can yeah. you imagine talking to Jupiter? <laughs> Zeus Jupiter, is that you? Jupiter's yeah. like, do your homework, clean your room, bring <laughs> order if, to your life. If you're a young lady, watch out for Jupiter and Zeus. You know, I mean, uh, <laughs> that would be a good mythology point. reference. Me too. Movement uh, might not go too well with, with Jupiter and Zeus. Yeah. Um, but you yeah, know, these planets are vibrating. They have a signature, just like we all do. Um, the Earth has its own signature. It's called the Schumann resonance, right? Mm. So we are all buzzing, and because of that, we are all interacting. So when people, you know, say like astrology is total BS, right? There's no way. I come back to that simple truth that everything's vibrating. We're all buzzing. We're buzzing. The planet's buzzing. Those planets are buzzing. Even if it is the most minute impact ever, like it's it's, it's infinitesimal. You can't even track mm. it. It's still there. Mm. It's still there on some level. Whether or not it's affecting us, whether or not. So me just clicking this pen. Uh, butterfly effect, right? Mm. Perhaps we are somehow a, we are on butterfly, butterfly drive. Yeah, yeah. we are on butterfly oh. drive. Yeah, there you go. Fascinating. Um, I think that that's kind of <laughs> that's the mentality we should have here is that we don't want to ascribe too much power and give our power away to the planets that they're controlling mm. our lives, but we should see perhaps how they might be setting the stage for us to make moves and to be aware, right? So get back we should talk about transits very quickly because um, certain transits are impactful in our lives and mm. i'm going to i'm going to talk about saturn for a moment because mm. every 29 years or so saturn makes a transit to where it was when you were born okay and that's a very important time um saturn's associated with structure in our lives it's seen as a as a planet that is limiting actually um structure can be limiting it's, it can also be in reinforcing and a positive thing so you have a foundation to build who you are um, and i'm going to kind of fast forward here to simplify People seem to, on their second go-around of the Saturn return, when they turn 58, especially men, have a lot of health issues. A lot of people die around 58, mm. uh, specifically. Really? Like, my grandfather passed away at 58 of a heart attack. And if you look into it, around those years, those, that year, 56 through 60, 62, let's say, they'll, and, you know, nowadays it's like, oh, you can live past it. You can be 70, 75 and live, you know, a nice, healthy life. But there seems to be something around those years that's like a, a health crisis, or a crisis of, of, of structure in your life. Midlife crisis? 
midlife crisis, if you will. It's um, like a three-fourths life crisis. Yeah, three-fourths yeah, life three crisis, yeah. <laughs> so for whatever reason, Saturn has become this tracker that you could see. Whenever Saturn is tracking, you can see that you might have significant life overhauls, whether they're positive or negative. Mm. Um, and for me, I got into astrology because of a Saturn transit. I remember talking with you, Bogdan, about mm. when I first got into this and I had this whole sheet where I was tracking when Saturn was aspecting my ascendant, when it was uh, aspecting my sun. And I literally was looking at the dates and I could look back, um, you know, uh, reflecting on those dates and being like, whoa, and this... You know, I was looking in hindsight, obviously, but a year ago at this time when Saturn was conjuncting my ascendant, I was totally having panic attacks all the time. I had no idea why. I felt so ungrounded and I felt like my whole life was coming to an end. It felt like I was almost dying and re being reborn. And so um, when, it, when Saturn transits different aspects of our natal chart, because this might be a little confusing for the listener who doesn't know much about astrology, but... What a transit chart is, is that you take your natal chart when you were born, where all the planets were, that snapshot in, uh, in time. Saturn, you're then taking where Saturn is currently in our moments. And wherever Saturn is right now, how it aspects your natal chart is what a transit is all about. All right, so that's something that uh, even for the people who might be doubting astrology, look at look at the transits and see like where a planet is in relation to your sun, your moon, um, your ascendant, and try to track it with significant things that have happened in your life at that at around that time. You might be surprised. You might find that whoa, significant things were happening when Saturn mm. was transiting my sun. So is that kind of you know uh, tracking how many uh, years it takes? for Saturn to make a full revolution and what kind of changes? That's where the 29 away. years come in. So uh -huh. we know it takes 29 years for a full revolution around that. Um, but, but even before the 29 years, when Saturn is transiting certain aspects or planets within your chart, mm. significant life changes can happen. Mm -hmm. um, and depending on the outer planet, whether it's Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, that ties into maybe certain health issues you might have mm. or um, certain themes that might show mm. up in your life. Right, so Saturn is like a father figure sign. Kronos, so, right? Right, so maybe then around when you turn 29, 58, it might be a significant time when you become a father for the first time, or you become mm. a grandfather for the first time. Sometimes you might see that happening around those time periods. But um, transits are key. That's why I got into astrology. When I got into astrology was when Saturn was very much aspecting, transiting my ascendant, my sun sign, um, and it totally overhauled my, the structure of who I viewed myself as being. I was able to recalibrate myself. Mm. Um, be, and, you know, was it because of Saturn? Well, I don't know. It was happening within... I, there was an inner calling that was coming up within me uh, mm. that was, you know, I couldn't really stop from happening. And Saturn was just a reference point to see or to make, give some meaning to these inner changes, these profound inner changes that were happening in my life and mm. to bring some meaning to them. So mm. Saturn in... I'm, I'm sorry to go off a little bit. Saturn in... Uh, Greek mythology, who would that, that would be Kronos? Yes. Mm -hmm. the, so symbolizing time. Yes. We get that word like chronicity. Yes. Chronic. So chronological. Chronic, mm -hmm. right? Pain mm -hmm. are, are things mm -hmm. that are happening over time. Mm -hmm. And so that's why Saturn is associated as, as like... Also the, with death and the, right. the reaper and the scythe, typically. Yes. These myths. Mm -hmm. So so very quickly, Saturn is seen as a malefic. It's seen as a negative planet, at least right. in ancient astrology, right? Because it's associated with death. It's associated a bad with sign. Time. You know, it's a bad start. We don't want to grow up. We want to be Peter Pan forever, right? And be young and youthful. Mm -hmm. So it's seen as being a, a rough planet. So the transits of Saturn are known as being tough times. They can be very uh, reinforcing 
for positive uh, for a positive Profound future. changes. Right, they but they're can, difficult. They, they're difficult. You have to accept them. If you're working against a Saturn transit, good luck. Like it, it's trying mm -hmm. to show you what you need to change, and it's going to smack you in the face, perhaps. But if you can deal with those changes changes positively in the long term, the results you reap mm. will be beyond mm. what you could dream of. Any recent Saturn uh, type events lately? Well, Saturn I believe is in Capricorn right now, and guess uh, the ruling sign or Saturn is the ruling sign of. Uh, or Capricorn, right? Mm -hmm. the, the ruling planet of, of Capricorn. So what would Saturn. that mean? Like earthly things? Earthly yes. So, so Capricorn's uh, associated with the structures of government, the structures of society. Because um, when you're Capricorn, you're very much into your job, supposedly, right? You really care about your place in the world and what you're giving back. Hmm. Um, so yeah, the fact that Saturn is in Capricorn right now says a lot about our our structure of our world and we see that there's a lot mm. of great changes going on with people's views of government mm. and whether or not we can trust our government um we're coming to consciousness about mm. it in way, one definitely. final question yes. to uh to wrap this all up what are a few big insights that you learned about yourself about other people through astrology perhaps three if you have all right well number? um I'll, I'll i'll tell my story a little bit here i guess in the sense that i i'm Basically, for anyone who knows anything about astrology, this will be good for you. If you know nothing, this might be a little tough, but I'm going to use this as a, as a jumping off point, okay? Let's do it. So my son, uh, son I'm, I'm born October 23rd, 1992. My son, the, the son just moved into Scorpio. Uh, I was born at 8.56 a.m. So my son's in zero degrees, the first degree of Scorpio. My rising sign is also in Scorpio based on where the time I was born during the day, 19 degrees of Scorpio. This conjuncts with, meaning that it aligns with, where Mercury and Pluto was at the same time in the sky. Mercury and Pluto were conjuncting at the same time I was born, um, within a degree of each other. They're opposites apart, right? Uh, no, they were meaning opposites. that they were uh, not opposites, but actually uh, aligned well, in the same well, they're, they're the farthest distance away. Right? Yeah, so Mercury and Pluto yeah, are actually really far away from each other, but in, res uh, in they were perspective from the Earth, they are aligned and actually mm. on top of each other. Okay, from that's our perspective. So that's all happening in Scorpio, right? I have the Sun in Scorpio, I have Ascendant, my Rising, uh, my Pluto and Mercury are all together. The Sun is a little farther away, but it's still in Scorpio. So it's like they call it a triple conjunction when things mm. come together. There's quadruple conjunctions. There's, you can have quintuple, sextuple conjunctions. And some people have those charts. They're very rare. But if you're born at a certain time when all these planets are conjuncting, you could technically it's possible mm. right so um i also now i'm gonna bring the houses in very quickly houses are just like ways that we d uh, delineate different spaces within the chart so your rising sign is where your first house begins okay so the first house aligns with aries the first sign the second house with taurus the second sign and so on my eighth house has the planet mars in it and mars is also associated with scorpio the eighth sign is Scorpio. So the eighth house also goes along with Scorpio. That Mars, where it is, it's in Cancer, the sign of Cancer, another water sign like Scorpio. Um, and elements play a role in this. We have fire, air, uh, earth, and water. And Mars uh, is trining my triple conjunction of Mercury, uh, my rising sign, uh, ascendant, and Pluto. So what I learned from astrology, all right, maybe these are the three things, these conjunctions and these, uh, these interactions, these aspects, is that my chart is telling me, smacking me over the head saying, you are a scorpionic being. The nature of Scorpio energetics is basically what you're working with in this life. Transformation, right, is a big, and you could argue, oh, that's for everyone, right? But for me, it's much more personal. 
This is kind of like my the cross that I bear in this life is to master transformation, to, to become one within it, to accept it. And then also because I'm so well versed in the nature, the art of transformation, impart that to other beings. Mm. And that's where Mercury comes in, right? Because Mercury is about the mind. And it's communication. Exactly. The messenger of the gods. And if Mercury. it's trined with Mars, that means that my... My outward actions in the world are going to be very much tied in with my mental uh, perceptions and my, my ability to express mentally and verbally what transformation is and to help people grow into the best versions of themselves. Hence, I'm a teacher. I'm a teacher of history. We watch the cycles of time, the cycles of humanity, the mm. rise and fall of civilization, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we watch these patterns and we marvel at them when really they're just, you know, repetition uh, in different, you know, different shapes. History mm. rhymes, doesn't repeat. Mm. So... Uh, astrology helped me realize the core um, mission, I guess you could say, of what my life purpose is. And it gave me meaning. And once I realized that, I was able to own the negative aspects of Scorpio and the positive ones. And I could see my positive traits and, and accept them and, and, and embrace them and see my negative ones and, or my challenging aspects of, of those aspects and realize this is something I can work with. Yes, it's my Achilles heel, but it's trying to teach me something. That's the lesson I'm going to learn in life is to be able to accept change, mm. to accept the necessity of transformation. We all want to get comfortable. We all want to be, you know, sitting in our ivory towers and feel like we've mastered it all and we're done. We can, you know, retire now. But life is not like that. Life is a constant ongoing process of growth and change. And if we accept that, we will live a much more fulfilling life um, and we'll be less of a burden on others. Mm, that's you know? great. Uh, yeah. Beautifully spoken. And um, my understanding of my sign as a Sagittarius being, you know, half, half man, half horse, meaning half animal, um, and kind of this idea of bringing together these natures. The human is thought of as, you know, the divine aspect of ourselves. And the horse is the animal aspect or the earthly nature of myself. Yes. And uh, through this understanding of Sagittarius as a sign and my kind of place in the world, it seemed to be bringing down information and knowledge from the heavenly sphere and bringing it down into an earthly sphere. Yes. And in that sense, my life path has made much more sense because I studied philosophy when I was in school. And it's a very airy topic, you know. Hard to pin down. Ideas, abstract. Yeah. And one of the main challenges I had was how do I actually like apply this to people? Because that's what I cared about. Like right. how can I help somebody with this knowledge? And that idea actually led me uh, into going into medicine, studying healing, especially of a natural uh, holistic type that takes into the account the mind and um, you know the psyche, the life, ideas, all these aspects bringing all of this way of viewing the universe uh, mysticism spirituality and enhancing you know people's lives and healing on a deeper level bringing right. meaning to people's yes. lives and that's kind of um, what I found in Sagittarius and I um, the company that I formed the herbal supplement mm -hmm. and herbal tea company it's called Kentaros Therapeutics yeah, yeah. Kentaros as you know in Greek it means centaur mm -hmm. and that's kind of the the healing myth of Chiron yeah um, so I think mythology is an incredibly powerful force in our lives because these archetypes they you know they exist yeah. in our unconscious mind and they give us a kind of um, a meaning and an energy and a strength to move forward through the struggles and realize like this myth 
that I'm living has been lived before and this is just my own version of it. Exactly. So astrology is this tool of self-mastery. And when you understand the mythology behind it, you're not just reading a random solar horoscope that you found off the internet. It allows you to write the story. It allows you to take control of your destiny. Um, And, you know, determinist mechanists would say you're full of it. But I don't, you know, I'm living my life. You can live your life and and feel that you're limited, you know, and that there's no real meaning to anything and that you're kind of just here and that's fine. I'm, you know, I'm, I've found this tool and I've used it to, to bring meaning and like you have as well to, to give a purpose to what you're doing. And it's, it's to master ourselves, to, to find our own fulfillment of our own happiness, doing what we love. But like you said, we have to be able to share that. We have to be able to um, spread this knowledge out because that is what our true purpose is here is to connect with others, to holistically bring it all together. We have to first start with ourselves and bring ourselves into wholeness. And from there, we can be beacons of literally wholeness for the world that will go out and heal this world, which, you know, is fragmented for a lot of different reasons. And so it's going to take many lifetimes, I would assume, to kind of bring us back to where we, you know, our our initial state of uh, unity. Mm. Eloquently spoken. And I'd like to uh, thank you personally for being on the show. My good friend, Eric, and my good friend, James. James. Thank you. Um, Thank you guys for being on. And I hope that this conversation you know, brings transformation and meaning to people's lives. People who might uh, be interested in astrology in terms of how they can improve their health with it and understand their minds. There are so many other elements of this. We could spend, you know, another year talking about Absolutely. astrology and how it impacts us. And, you know, if any of your listeners have questions or are right, interested. Right, how can they contact you? Yeah, um, uh, I mean, you could contact Sir Bogdan over here and he could probably uh, put you into contact. That's but, true. Um, you know, I've... Uh, even personal email, I don't even mind putting it out there. If you want to spam me up, it's all good. Um, <laughs> if you want to contact me, Ed free questions. astrological readings at uh, Eric Anderson's email. Yeah, no, listen, uh, I can at least give you a you know a, a starting point. I can give right. you an idea of what what you want to work with and what you're interested in. What like because you want to start with a question, then look at your chart, maybe try to figure out what that question, how it can be answered. So E R A one zero two three at AOL.com. That's how you can contact me if you want. Um, I, you know, I wouldn't call myself an astrological master, but I spent, you know, uh, a lot of time studying it on my own and uh, trying to master myself. And that's really what you want to do here. It's not about looking at the world and trying to understand the world and other people. Start with yourself. Know yourself. Know the world. Mm, know thyself and you shall know the universe and its gods. Exactly. All right. Beautiful. On that note. <laughs>